You're listening to the Leaders of Consulting podcast, a show that brings you interviews and expertise with today's leading consultants. This show is brought to you by Spotlight Podcasting, an agency that helps B2B professional service firms launch and produce podcasts, providing support for both strategy and execution. If you want to find out more, you can head on over to spotlightpodcasting.com. So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting, the show that brings you interviews with experts in the trenches at the forefront of consulting, sharing their own perspectives, tips and resources they picked up along the way for your benefit. On this episode, we're joined by Paul Sokol, who is a marketing automation and sales expert. Uh, he is the founder or the co-founder of BPro and has helped thousands of businesses uh, he's also written a very authoritative book and personally sold ne- over nearly half a million dollars in services. So, Paul, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Thanks for the lovely intro. And I think by now it is officially over half a million in services since we initially booked this. It was right there. It was a couple a couple grand away. So, Yeah, that's great to hear. And uh, so maybe, maybe your biome deserves a little bit of an update, I guess. It's <laughs> all good. Yeah. So, Paul, as we usually start off the show, can you tell us, uh, you know, a unique approach, approach, tip, tool, or strategy, uh, maybe that you picked up along the course of your uh, career that you think other consultants should probably think about? Yes. As a consultant, it's really important to be clear on two things. You got to be really clear on what you're offering, and you got to be really clear on who your target audience is. And I approach everything from the lens of the customer experience. And so the customer experiences your offer through the customer journey of marketing, sales, and fulfillment. And then there's the operations under the hood and the people and the money part of it. It all starts with the offer though. And being clear about what it is that you're selling and how you deliver it. And I see a lot of consultants that can do stuff but it's not necessarily a package deal. It's not, here's my hamburger and this is, this is exactly what we do. For example, at Pro, when we're doing customer journey automation, we do have our hamburger. We have a distinct planning tool that covers the main parts of the customer journey, at least the, the, the key moments. And then we storyboard out how to get people from moment to moment. And then we build the layers underneath it. So, okay, so here's the the customer journey. And then this will be what the messaging is for each asset. And then these are the tools we're going to use. Here's who has the skills for the tools. And here's the owner of that part. And it's rinse and repeat every single time. So we are really clear on what it is that we're selling and how we deliver it. So I'm, I'm supposing that by doing so, uh, you're immediately setting expectations up front. You know, you, you kind of helping the customer feel a lot more comfortable with this is just the decision they're making the process yeah. that they're following. Absolutely. Absolutely. It defines the scope. We almost never have scope creep mm. as a result of this yeah. because it's like building a blueprint for a house. You hire an architect to make the blueprint and it's technical and it contains everything that the builder is going to need to build it. And so that's why we do spend time on the plan, really thinking out what's the journey, why are we doing it? It's easy to collapse 
the customer journey and forget why you're there in like a single moment. It's easy to get lost in the weeds and mm. forget, oh, 10,000 foot, I'm trying to get this person to download this thing I requested, or I'm trying to get them to request a call, something like that. And so that's another reason why it's really helpful to have a plan because it keeps you oriented when you're creating the messaging for it. Yeah. This is just as important as being clear on what your offer is because it doesn't matter how good your thing is. If you don't know who it's for and how to speak to somebody about it, it's not going to do any good. If, if I have the best hamburger in the world and I'm standing in a room full of vegetarians, I'm not selling it. It doesn't matter how good my pitch is. It doesn't matter how great the promotion is. It's the wrong target audience. So the other co-founder, Brina, she's been researching extensively what it is to be, to create an actual customer profile that's useful, that you can actually use. It's usually you see target customer avatars and exercises like that. They almost exist like in a vacuum as either an afterthought or just a box you have to check off where we believe a customer profile is something that you want to be using regularly because it gives you context into the person and what they need and how to talk to it. And there's, there's four parts to a customer profile that we believe uh, everything starts off with the demographics, which is the basic stuff. This is what you can see. This is a 40-year-old male who went to college and he's got two kids and what are the, the, the demographics. This is the stuff you can see. And unfortunately, this is where most customer profiles end at that demographic level, but that do, does almost nothing for you for your marketing. Give, give, me, give me a room full of a million dudes that are 40 years old and there's going to be all sorts of clusters of people and types in there. So that's why the second part is the psychographics. And this is how they think. This is the stuff that you can't see about them. So you can look at them and say, demographics, who are they? And then the psychographics determine how are they? Where do they get their information from? How do they think? Do they have any, uh, are there any like spiritual leanings? Are there any political leanings? Are there places they get their news and information from? That kind of stuff. And then once you know how they are, now you can actually start doing something useful with the customer profile and get into the third layer, which is the behavioristics. And this is how their life is. So when you're doing a customer profile, you're, you're, you're climbing deeper and deeper into somebody's life. So you say, who are they? How do they think? And then how is their life right now? And this is where we start exploring things like triggering events, what are goals, what are challenges, what are, you know, what's their role in the purchase process? And this is where it starts to be meaningful and valuable to a marketing team. Because now we're starting to understand how does this person think that, uh, how's this person's life based on how they think and who they are? And then the last part of the customer profile, which I think is, it, it dovetails beautifully into another exercise a lot of people do in a vacuum. It's positioning. That's the fourth part of the customer profile. Because if the behavioristics is what is life like now, the positioning is what could life be like with regards to your product. And now, once you understand how they are, how they think, and how their life is, now I can have a meaningful conversation and say, this helps you avoid this. This helps you achieve this. Before, here's what life is. After, here's what life is. And and this is meaningful. 
Now you can go ahead and give this to a marketing team and they can actually do something with it and not just look at it and go, well, that's a cool exercise and I'm going to keep guessing. In fact, we have a customer profile worksheet and we've given it so far, or rather I've given it to two advertising clients before we started working together. They filled it out the best they could and it it did exactly what it was supposed to do. When we got onto the advertising call, we were very clear on exactly who we're talking to, how we want to talk to them, and it made writing the ads so much easier. And from nothing. I literally know nothing about these people, but I have this couple of pages, read through it, great. Now I'm really clear on who we're dealing with. And I feel like a lot of consultants miss that part. They say that, oh, we're for everybody or we can do this. And like, okay, sure. McDonald's is not going to sell hamburgers to children the same way that it sells it to adults, even though it's the same product. You got to have two different commercials. And that's where I think a lot of consultants shoot themselves in the foot and they kind of let their, I guess, egos get in the way in that, oh, I can serve everybody. Maybe you can, but it's not necessarily... How are you going to find those people? Like I remember talking to a guy, he does uh, collections. And of course, most businesses can use collections. But he's having trouble finding his target audience. I'm like, well, that's because your target isn't everybody. Would you rather do collections for like a restaurant? Would you rather do collections for a lawyer? You want to do collections for a doctor? You want to do collections for a lawn service? And all of those distinctions right there have their own customer profile. And, and how you talk to them. Even, even lawyers and doctors, the positioning is going to be very different as to why they might require a collection agency. And then this is why it's important to also know what your offer is too. So that way, when you've brought them in, you can take them exactly through the process. Just like, just like a restaurant in a kitchen. You want a beef stroganoff? Cool. Back in the kitchen, they know how to make it. Here it is. Here's what you ordered. It's not like, oh, you want beef stroganoff? Okay, let's let's test this out. Let's let's look up a recipe online and make it our own kind of thing, which is very boring and unsexy to do. To sit down and really nail down your offer isn't exciting. And I think a lot of people don't do that and they run into problems. The other problem that I see with offers is the problem statements. Uh, and I get this from product manager. And I, I was a product manager at Infusionsoft for a couple of years. And one of the most important things when designing any piece of software is getting the problem statements nailed in intimately. You, you know, knowing your product statements like they were your spouse. And every offer is like that. And that's another opportunity that I see consultants miss. They, they're not necessarily clear on the problem statements of what they're helping their people do. They, they do a thing, but they're not exactly clear on what is it that we're helping these people do. And I've been rambling. I feel like you may have some thoughts. I've been seeing you taking, taking some notes here. Yeah, no, it's that those are, I think, yeah, those are really essential things for, for messaging and so helpful and, and things that oftentimes people tend to kind of glance over. The, the customer avatar part, those elements that you describe, I've, you know, I've heard them and I've, you know, I've probably been through similar exercises myself as well, but I've never actually heard them broken down into those four separate areas that you mentioned. And I think that's, that's very helpful because it allows you to really kind of go, okay, 
the behavioristics, okay, that's something that's that's very applicable or the positioning that you can really incorporate into, you know, the, your marketing, your sales and uh, figuring out, yeah, exactly how to position your product to certain different kinds of audiences and so on. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's a that, that's a big app. And yeah, like you said, usually you'll see these disparate exercises on target marketing, but it's not this holistic, what do I do with it? Yeah. Uh, even some of the, the best you know, digital marketing schools of thought out there, their avatar sheets are all right, but sometimes they'll they'll skip right to positioning or they'll just only do like the demographics and psychographics, not really relate it to your product. And at the end of the day, your target audience has to appeal to your, uh, your, your product has to appeal to your target audience. And that's the whole point of going through that exercise. Yeah. And that's a very, that's also a very slow, boring, unsexy thing to do. When Brina is doing a customer profile, it may take her a couple of months to properly research and go through everything. But once it's there, it's airtight. Because it, it's a real, it's a big research project. It really is. You have to go search for, uh, you start by looking for the, the ponds where these people hang out. We, we use the fishing analogy. So are there groups or places they hang out? And then you start finding individuals that look like they may be your ideal customer. And then you start digging into that and looking at, you know, looking at the demographics and their psychographics and, you know, the things that they can show and start filling in the pieces and looking for patterns. And that's one thing that Brina is amazing at is looking at, is seeing these patterns among people. Uh, another another great resource to especially for the positioning and like looking for the languaging is looking at reviews, but looking at reviews from competitors and also looking at their negative reviews because that's also a really good source of data for the the exact language that they use and also potential opportunities to improve your offer or maybe even add some new features to it. But like I said, once it's done, it's it's airtight and there's people that it just makes it easy. Yeah. And one thing that, you know, related to the customer side, one thing that I've heard you mention several times is the customer journey. Yes. And when I think of the customer journey, I think of, um, you know, it's not necessarily just like the outcome or, or the, or the widget or the thing that you're selling and the service that you're providing, but the full end to end experience for the customer. Can yes. you can you talk about like why is why is that so important to you? Why why should that be important for for companies in general? Man, that's almost that, that's a great question because it it's almost like well duh obviously the, <laughs> you pay attention to it but but why is it important? The customer journey has three distinct parts to it. You've got the marketing journey, which is from nothing to now you have a face with a name. The sales journey, which then transforms that into that of a paying customer and then the fulfillment journey, which is giving them everything they had and, and after that. And the customer journey is unique for every offer has its own customer journey, even though there may be shared resources and assets. So a restaurant has 30 things on the menu. Each of those is distinct. The kids say it's all cooked in the same kitchen operationally. And so when you're planning out your customer journey, it's important to, well, it's important to plan out your customer journey so you can create the experience that you want rather than leaving it up to chance because you definitely don't want to leave things up to chance. And so lead magnets, 
super common thing with the customer journey. I make sure that people actually consume the lead magnet before I start doing anything else. And it's, it's super common. So somebody, let's say they, they opt in first email says, here it is. And then if they don't click to download the thing or go watch whatever, three days later, we send a reminder, Hey, here's that thing that you asked for. I'm trying to be cool. And then four days later, making it a full week after the fact, Hey, here's your final reminder. And then whether or not they do that, you can still proceed with the next part of the marketing journey or, or the sales journey, whatever that is. And that has to be considered. The follow-up messaging for somebody that has downloaded your lead magnet is going to be different than someone who didn't because it's two different journeys. The language may be the same, that the emails might be 95% the same. Maybe you're just changing the first sentence or two to acknowledge that they either did or did not download the thing. And maybe you change up uh, the timing of it. That's something I'll do too. So maybe it's the same messages, but instead of sending three emails in three days because they downloaded it, I'll send those three emails over the course of a week because they didn't download it because we know they're not super engaged. And that's important because people are individuals and they don't want to be felt, they don't want to feel like a number just pushing through a machine. And that's something that you see a lot, especially with these internet marketing types, you go opt in to get my free thing. And then whether you download it or not, you just start getting slammed with sales messages. But it's, it's just like, homie, I, I, I ordered an appetizer. I haven't even eaten it yet. Why are you bringing my meal kind of thing? And that's a good analogy. I may, I may, I may stick with that because yeah, that, that's almost exactly what, what you're doing when you give your free thing and then just start hammering people with sales stuff. Uh, and then even in the sales journey, you've, Got to design that if people are clicking to check out and they don't. We can do cart abandons. If you do your initial pitch and they don't go for it, okay, let's offer them a survey for a discount code maybe and make that make it like a valuable survey, not something wimpy, but really hard-hitting questions that you can use for product research and offer research that's going to give they're going to have to put in some effort and then, okay, here's, you know, here's the discount. Uh, and then for consultants, what we do is the plan is a paid conversation. So we don't just do a plan call for free. We'll, you know, we'll have a sales call, you know, spend maybe half hour, hour with you, just chatting, figuring out what do you want to do? And then it's always, okay, great. Do you want to buy a plan call? You want to do an advertising plan. You want to do an automation plan. And that gets some skin in the game. And then that also filters people out too. Because if people can't pay $397 for a planning call, they're not going to be able to pay a couple of grand for a build out. Or if they're, you know, if they're going to pay $397 for an advertising plan, or if they can't spend $397 for an advertising plan, they probably can't spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks to get it loaded and then have the budget. To make it worth it. And so that's also another thing that I that, that consultants can do is they can break their offer apart and make the sale easier. Because once the plan's created, here, Mrs. Jones, do you want to buy it? Here's the exact scope. And then the the, the pricing in our case is just based off the, the actual scope, however many emails and landing pages, things like that. And then for ads, it's it's simply however many ads there are to load. And that's that. 
Yeah. And then the fulfillment journey. And then the and then the last part I'll talk about is the fulfillment journey that also has to be designed. Once people either pay or they say, yeah, let's go, that needs to be mapped out as well. Otherwise, it's gonna it's gonna be messy. And and that's something that I see a lot. You'll see these people that have these really awesome marketing and sales funnels, and then you get in and it's it's held together with duct tape and staples. And you know, this, there's nothing pro about this. this. This is sloppy. And and that's why whenever I'm designing a customer journey, especially for something new, you start by planning the fulfillment and work backwards. So like I'm working with a doctor right now, they're doing a membership site and we planned out exactly what they're going to get, how we're going to get them there and, and how we're going to get them to stay. Hmm. And then once we know that, it was very easy to turn around and say, okay, this is what the sales journey can look like because we know how the fulfillment works. And then we can go further upstream and say, great, now that we know this is how we're going to sell it, here's how we're going to market it. With the automation work that you, you do, in the, um, which I know is a, is a big part of the service that you, services that you provide, um, I'm, I'm assuming that that customer journey really ties in quite closely. And I suppose it's probably a good way of also understanding how the automation fits in right mm-hmm. right because that's why we plan the journey first we storyboard it out what this happened what this happened what this happened what this happened <clears throat> and then you figure out the technology and assuming we're not doing something like hey go back in time and send this email yesterday like in most cases we can do it and sometimes we have to do some research and see if things are, are possible based on the system they're using but <clears throat> that's also where our expertise comes in in the planning because we know that, yeah, you can do this. You can't do this. And it does flow. And, and the automation is used to deliver the journey. You don't start by saying, Oh, I want to automate this. You say, here's what I'm creating. And then you figure it out. Kind of like a, kind of like a director, kind of like Steven Spielberg with Jaws. He's like, I need the shark to jump out of the water and go into the boat. And his special effects guys looked at him like he was nuts. And he said, figure it out. <laughs> and that, that's it. You know, we, we want this thing to happen in the customer journey. It seems like it's possible. Okay, figure it out. So that, that's another reason why it's important to plan. Because then you can, you should be able to hash out all those, those potholes and potential delays ahead of time. So if like we know that we want to buy, if someone needs to get a piece of software, cool. We figure out when that happens. So like, for example, we, I, I just sold uh, another Keep account the other day, but we did the plan and we wrote all the messaging weeks ago. And so day one, he buys the account. We load the campaign up because the, the emails are already written. We already knew exactly what the journey looked like, and uh, we just needed the software at that point. So now he's not sitting there for a couple of weeks paying for software that he's not using. He can pretty much hit the ground running right away. I see the hamster wheels going. There's yeah, no, I, I, there's I, a lot. There's a lot, man. It's I mean I've been doing this since 2008, so it's, it's yeah. I just I just think like this now at this point. Okay, so one thing I'm I'm curious about is: Do you see any well-known brands, or are there any 
examples of where you can see that they've, whether it's a brand or, a brand or some sort of service or product, where you can see where they've clearly thought out the customer journey and everything that goes along with that, the whole experience, the... Mm-hmm. As dumb as it's going to sound, mm-hmm. I've been really impressed by Jack in the Box, uh, which it, it's a hamburger franchise. Oh, yeah. And uh, specifically their app. So the way that the app works, I mean, you can, you can place orders in the app. But even, even this, even this, right? Uh-huh. I place an order on the app, and then I'm going to go pick it up at the drive-thru, Right. How are we going to guarantee that the food's still going to be hot and fresh? How do we do that? You place your order, and on the next page it says success. Hit this button when you're ready to start us. Hit this button when you're about five or seven minutes out, and we'll guarantee that it's hot and fresh. Basically, tell us when to start cooking it. And so I live around the corner from the Jack in the Box, so I'll usually wait a couple of minutes. And so I'll usually just hit the button right away and then wait a couple of minutes. But if I lived 10, 15 minutes away, I would drive there and then, you know, at, at whatever light or something, okay, I go ahead and start making my food. Uh, they have a really well done point system and uh, the loyalty point system. It's super easy. It, it automatically calculates that for you. It has a fun little graphic that shows you how close you are to different rewards. And they're always doing promotions for that. Like I think yesterday it was a double a double point thing for Independence Day, uh, or um, <laughs> they sent out an email at the beginning of June that said, "Hey, you can get a free burger if you place three orders on the app in the month of June." No brainer. I, I had that you know after like two weeks or something because I'm just being fat and lazy lately. Um, I'm just super impressed, and the email marketing is great. It's the voice is on the voice is modern the graphics are good they're not these long crazy emails they, they really just get to the point because they're they're just trying to sell you food they're, they're trying to get that recency up and i've been super impressed by that which again it's it, it's silly but i really can't think of a lot of other companies that do it well in my opinion like really especially the enterprise level i mean I've got a buddy of mine who used to, we, we were success coaches at Infusionsoft a decade ago, and now he does big Salesforce stuff for like large brands, like household name brands. And he's telling me that these, these marketing executives still think it's a neat idea that you can track a link has been clicked. Of these like billion dollar international brands, the executives are like, oh, wow, I can track that they clicked a link. What the hell have you been the past two decades? Like, so uh, small businesses have such an advantage to run circles around this. And for enterprise level, it's really hard because there's, there's a lot of stakeholders. They don't have their planning tools and whatnot. And it's just, uh, and they usually miss opportunities. Like a lot of opportunities. Like one of, uh, like, like Rena's got a, a client right now and they're, they've actually outgrown Keep which is good. They've grown so big that they've outgrown it. And now they're trying to do a migration of Salesforce. This thing was supposed to be done, I think, three months ago. They've already gone through two consultants and they can't even get past the planning stage. Hmm. Like, what? Yeah. And so there's not a lot of companies that are doing marketing automation well these days, uh, which is sad. 
Um, that's why they get a lot of bad, you know, get a bad rap because it's you know, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm totally against that. That's why I'm such a, a stickler for good automation. And that's exactly why we chose B Pro as the name. Because if you're going to do anything, you might as well be pro, no matter what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. I was thinking uh, recently uh, switched to Verizon Broadband. And one of the things they do, which I quite like so as part of their onboarding automation, is they have a personalized video uh, that I just think is really so well done. And I know it's, I know it's just, you know, automating it's technology automation and so forth, but, uh, but it makes me feel so important. Yes. That, that actually, that reminds me, I just got a, a solar, a solar power system installed and that was a good experience. They, somebody did it right. And they obviously had their little pipeline on the back end, And every time the project moved the stage. I got an email that said, Hey, great news. You know, the permits have been accepted. Hey, great news. Your install scheduled. And, and they, they were all transactional. Hmm. They were super, you know, they weren't any like blow my socks off, but it was timely. It was relevant and it was, it was done properly. And I appreciated the crap out of that. And uh, the, the personalized videos I got that too, from uh, the credit union that, that did the loan for the, solar panels. And I thought that was super cool. Welcome to the credit union. Here's a personalized video. And it just like had my name merged into there somewhere. And like I said, technology that's been out for well over 10 years at this point, but um, it was nice, you know, seeing people do that. Yeah, absolutely. So Paul, um, I'm aware, you know, that we're sort of approaching sort of the later stages of this, this interview, but I'm curious, you know, you mentioned uh, to me earlier that you're, you're working on a book um, so I'd love for you to, you know, maybe tease a little bit of that for us. Yeah. So this book, it's it's on the business stack, which is what I train my clients on and train a bunch of people on. It's a very simple concept. I actually talked about it earlier. So I'll make it distinct. My belief is that at any point, a business is doing one of seven things. You're either doing offer development, you know, R&D, you're making new offers. You're either working on the marketing, sales, or fulfillment journey. You're working on the operations of that. So the operations is simply, how do you market? How do you sell? How do you fulfill? Uh, the sixth thing is the people systems. And then the last one is money because money pays for everything else. And so each part of the business, it doesn't matter if you're a hot dog cart or Disney, you're doing all of those things, just different scale. And each of those parts have their own distinctions. And it's like a garden and you, you really have to water and give care to all parts of that business, to all parts of that. Otherwise the business fails. And then the operational stuff, the money stuff, that's all boring and unsexy. It is. I'm not going to try and get any way around it. And it's important. That's like saying, man, I like humans. I just don't like the skeletal system. Well, too bad. <laughs> you don't have a human without it. Um, I see, I get a weird human, I guess, a blobby one. Um, so that's basically what the book is talking about. It's, it's making the business stack distinct. And then at the end of it, the latter half, we're taking it out of theory and into practical application because there's a scoreboard for that. that it, again, it's an industry agnostic scoreboard that basically at the end of the day, you're comparing uh, money in to money out and then the operational stuff. And these are 
just like every human has the same core vital signs. Like everyone's got a blood pressure, everyone has a temperature, that kind of stuff. Just it's different per human and you know, depending on the situation. Same thing with business. So every business is going to have their business stack numbers that are theirs and they know what's healthy, what's not. So like, for example, I think uh, the, number of, the number of active offers being sold, uh, line items, the number of active line items being sold as a measurement, that, that's very important. And ours right now is at five. And it's been at five for years because, you know, that's what, I mean, that's what we've got. We have five specific line items and we're working on some other ones. And uh, every once in a while, like if that number goes down to four, it's like, okay, what didn't we sell last month? You know, where did we miss? Um, and then we can look at all, all the other numbers. And yeah, I mean, I've been using the scoreboard for years, helps keep me on track with how's everything going. And at this point, it's a, but at this point I've built it into a spreadsheet for each of the main, for each of the seven slices, the business stack. And then you have the main scoreboard that just pulls in that data. And so again, thinking for scale, you know, the sales manager would be updating the sales sheet. The fulfillment manager is going to update the fulfillment sheet. It all feeds up into the master scoreboard. So that way we can see in one view, here's what's going on. Uh, and it's, it's brutal sometimes. It's brutal sometimes. Because um, one of the core metrics is the revenue per logged hour. This is this is the the ratio. It's it's measure of operational effectiveness. Really, it's how much money in divided by the number of logged hours. Every single business can measure this, and it's going to be a unique number per business. Uh, but that's one of our KPIs. Our, our KPI is we try to stay at two hundred dollars revenue per logged hour. And some months we totally miss it, and the numbers are right there. It's like wow, we totally crapped the bed last month. Because rev per logged hour is really low. Okay, why? And then we can look at it. Okay, we had this one project that just ate a whole bunch of stuff. Or, you know, we didn't sell as many orders. Uh, this, you know, we didn't have as many projects this month. So, it, you know, it's the same amount of time. That's what the number dipped, that kind of stuff. The revenue per logged hour, uh, I feel that that's such a, it's such a hard hitting metric too. Because like, that's where, that's where the brass tax hits. That's where it falls. That's where unless you're like a narcissist completely delusional from the world, that number is going to slap you in the face and you're, and you got to pay attention to it to know how healthy your business is. Especially if you have a, when you have a team of people, you need to know how much money is coming in over how many hours did they log and how's our business doing? Um, and you can, and even the periodicity of it, like I, I look at this once a week, if we were a larger company, it would probably be something where maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we'd look at it. Uh, if I was a restaurant, I'd probably look at revenue per logged hour uh, each day and, and kind of do breakdowns there and look for patterns and, and things like that. It's, it's a really wacky number and I don't see anybody teaching it. Again, just because I don't, it, 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 hurt, it hurts people's egos. It does. It really does. When it's like, oh yeah, you sold you sold twenty grand last month. Cool, you get thirty bucks revenue per per logged hour. That's terrible. 
you know, restaurants make more than that. What is your team doing? Yeah. Uh, and then I also like to think about businesses in that, in, in that terms too. I'm like, man, like, like, uh, like the liquor store or something, like they got people coming in and out all day. I'm like, man, what's their revenue per logged hour? You know, because <laughs> hmm. you know, in a day, maybe you log 40 hours between the couple of different employees and then a couple grand in sales every day. Like that's, that's gotta be a really rad number. And then you start to think like places like Disney, where you've got literally like tens of thousands of people on payroll and like, that would just be an insane number to check out. Yeah. Interesting. But it's still a core number. Yeah. I like the sound of that. Very, very, um, the whole premise for the book sounds very practical and, uh, and fluff free. Which... Yeah, that, that's the idea. I, yeah. I, I really wanted to write a holistic business book because there's 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 experts, you know, out the ass. There, there's 400,000 people who have written, you know, books on marketing and books on sales, but they don't, they never talk about the people systems. Or if you have this, here's a book on finance, they never talk about product development. Or if you're doing product development, they are never going to talk about um whatever this this sales process uh so i want to fill that gap yeah excellent and so and so paul um i think that's that's probably a good note to to let people know where they can you know keep up with you uh follow updates when the book comes out and so on can you let people know uh where to find you online so because you're interested in this book you're going to want to go to book dot paulsokol.me, P-A-U-L-S-O-K-O-L.me, and go ahead, sign up for that. And on the other side, I'll ruin the surprise because I don't, I don't I don't publish it, but customer journey, right? Uh, when you sign up for the wait list, you uh, I'm giving you the business stack, uh, a business stack training. I did a I taught it at Phoenix Startup Week a couple years ago and got a recording of it. And so uh, you'll go through the business stack training. It's about a half hour. And then you're on the wait list. Uh, I'm also all over the internet. You can go and find me on LinkedIn. You can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash bpronow. Uh, I also have a public figure page, facebook.com slash under the hair. Excellent. Well, Paul, this has been uh, very insightful. Uh, I, th- I want to thank you for giving us uh, your time and uh, sharing your insights with us today. Of course. Of course. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. This has been a lot of fun. Great. Hey, Jonathan Bailey Strong here, host of the show. Thanks for tuning in. And if you want to get in touch, feel free to hit me up on social media. If you just search for my username, John B. Strong on Twitter. And actually, you can search for the same thing on LinkedIn. Uh, you'll find my profile there as well. I'd love to connect and hear your feedback.